postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. 
Hey, Mighty One, with nearly 300 Breathful episodes in over five years, it may be hard to know where to begin listening to the show. To make it easier, we've put together the Best of Birthful series, which showcases some of our favorite or most relevant episodes. This is one of those. If you enjoy what you hear, make sure you subscribe. It's free, and that way you won't miss a thing. Enjoy. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show and your feedback. I have the immense pleasure of talking with Kristen Pescucci, who is the founder of Birth Monopoly, where she advocates for a freer maternity care market, working closely with leading national advocates, organizations, and birth lawyers, as well as educating the public and healthcare providers about women's human and legal rights in childbirth. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. So we're talking today about informed consent in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things related to that. Let's start right at the bit. Like, what does that even mean? Informed consent is one of our most basic rights in our healthcare. Um, it's sort of rooted in the idea that each of us owns our own bodies, which, you know, sounds really simple and sort of, um, you know, sort of basic, but it means a lot in um especially in maternity care. So informed consent is the process by which a healthcare provider um, informs a patient about the risks and benefits and alternatives to anything that they're suggesting, and then gets the free, non-coerced consent of the patient to um, to perform that procedure or you know whatever it is. Um, and that, that also includes the right of refusal, which is really important. Um, that's the right to say no to anything um, that has to do with your, with your body. So this is really critical in maternity care because just the way um, sort of that field has evolved, women have often been sort of treated like passive, um, passive people rather than active sort of directors in their own births. Mm-hmm. So in a, so in a lot of, in a lot of, t- a lot of times, um, there's a little bit of a learning curve, um, when it comes to informed consent, because you'll see a lot of, um, a lot of routine practices and procedures and policies, um, don't necessarily come with informed consent, even though, women are definitely owed informed consent. Let's talk a little bit more about what, so in terms of this informed consent and refusal, the right of autonomy of your body, basically, and decision-making. How, because, so I understand that how maternity field has evolved into this, and it is a tricky situation where you've got the consideration of the mother and the consideration of the baby. And so mm-hmm. sometimes when I speak to, to you know, whoever about this concept of your right is rights in childbirth, there's always the, but, you know, not what if it's going to harm the baby. Right. So can you talk right. a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I think it's important for people to have a little bit of context um, <clears throat> for the system. Which is, and um, I'm not saying anything new here, a lot of our routine procedures and policies and practices are actually harmful to babies. Um, And a lot of the things that you see families sort of pushing back on 
are those very things. So families are saying, huh, well, you know, I've done a bunch of research and I realized that actually um, this isn't good for the baby. And so I'm going to exercise my right to informed consent and refusal um, in this instance and say, you know, I'm going to opt for something different or um, I'm going to just say no to that thing. So I think it's really important that people understand that, um, that I think we can assume for the most part that the mother and or the parents are most concerned about the safety of the baby. And um, if we start with that, you know, it sort of um, switches the onus from, you know, what the care provider is um, sort of dictating about it to the care provider empowering the mother to make, you know, to make the the choice that's right for her and her baby. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In terms of putting that into practice, like finding their voice and getting their wishes across, how can the laboring woman and her support team communicate with care providers to um, make sure they're heard? Yeah, well, um, I would say you know, just to cut to the chase on the whole thing, the number one most important thing is who you pick as your care provider. Um, and I know that, you know, unfortunately not everyone has a choice or has a lot of choice, um, in that for those, for those who do have a choice, I would say exercise that choice, find someone who, um, it's not going to be a struggle or it's not going to be a fight or it's not where you're going to have to figure out how to communicate with them, find someone who already communicates in those terms. And then you can skip this whole, you know, this whole issue. (laughs) Um, But of course, you can't always predict either, you know, who you get and you, you know, might have different staff members, um, you know, which, you know, those, you know, nursing staff or aides or techs, and those aren't necessarily things you can plan for. Um, But I think starting, um, starting with a sense of confidence about what your rights are and um, almost like grounded in your in yourself, I think is really, really important um, so that you don't, so that you're not automatically starting out like, um, you know, on your, on your back foot that, you know, where you feel like you have to ask permission um, because it really should be the other way around. And I think developing that sense of confidence comes from educating yourself, um, from practicing how you're going to communicate, um, which I've made a, a handout about, um, just to get people sort of, you know, warmed up to that idea. Uh, I also, um, you know, for people who have the time, you know, look into nonviolent communication skills. Um, Mastering Respectful Confrontation is a great book um, by Joe Weston. And um, you know, that, that just sense of confidence that comes from, you know, being, knowing your rights, feeling, um, feeling like a valued, respected person, um, with maybe, you know, having a little bit of practice in what exactly you're going to say when you have some questions or you need a little more time or you've already decided that that's something that you're going to refuse. And, you know, it is kind of like weird and bizarre that we're having about we're talking about, you know, arming yourself with or learning techniques for nonviolent forms of communication as part of a birth 
skills and tools for your birth, you know? I know. It seems it seems kind of ridiculous um, sometimes. But, you know, unfortunately, it's just reality. You know, from a personal perspective, it was I, I was so I, I wasn't used to being treated like without a lot of respect. Um, this, sound, this sounds like such a ridiculously privileged statement, but it's just true. Um, I just wasn't used to being treated in such a sort of um, like like I was a child. Mm-hmm. And and so it caught me off guard, even though I went in really confidently. It was like, oh, my goodness, like I don't even know how to talk to these people because I'm so thrown off by, you know, um, by the way I'm being treated right now. It's it's just like really bizarre to me. Um, so I don't know. I you know, I just my my point is just that you can't prepare you can't prepare too much. You you never know how you're gonna react um when you're under a little bit of pressure and you know, you're dealing with some sensations in your body as well. I mean, with the birth monopoly, you also have all your merchandise that says you're not allowed to not allow me. And right. <laughs> yeah, that's such a incredibly to the point essential core of this whole idea of <laughs> the, the care providers are allowing you to do this and this and this and this during birth. Right. And it really is the other way around. Like from a legal rights point of view, from a human rights point of view, um, from an ethical point of view, it is the mother who gives or does not give permission to anyone else to do anything to her body. No matter what. Um, Yeah, it's not the other way around. So knowing all of these things, Having practiced, I always feel silly role playing, <laughs> practicing in front of the mirror. But yeah, there's something about your body doing that muscle memory. Yeah, well, I think it's really helpful to practice with, you know, have someone pretend to be a nurse or a doctor and, you know, have them get aggressive with you or have them get passive aggressive with you, <laughs> you know. Um, I, it is really helpful. I, you know, it's just one of those things you don't ever think you're going to be in that situation. And then when you are, it can be really uncomfortable. And like you said, it might feel silly, but man, are you going to be grateful for that little bit of muscle memory if you ever actually need it? Mm-hmm. Ah, postpartum brain fog. Did you even know that was a thing? But I'm guessing that if you have little ones at home, you're probably feeling it, along with the increased mental load of trying to be a multitasking caregiver, facing the stressful demands of everyday life. And that's without even considering the added lack of sleep. It's definitely a lot, which is why I'm so appreciative of Needed's cognitive support supplement created to help support key aspects of cognitive health like focus and attention, brain health and memory, and even alleviate brain fog and eye fatigue. Now, what makes Needed's cognitive support so unique is that unlike many other cognitive support supplements, Needed's is appropriate to take while breastfeeding. In fact, it was designed with this in mind. But don't just take my word for it. In an in-market study, 92% of people taking Needed's cognitive support saw an improvement in overall cognitive function, with 78% seeing an improvement in mental clarity, aka brain fog. And of these many positive reviews, my favorite is one that says, quote, 
This is my third postpartum period. This is the best I have felt mentally and physically, despite now having three kiddos to care for. End quote. Basically, taking needed cognitive support is an easy way to help reclaim your brain during postpartum. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of needed products. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. So what if you practice your phrases and you're like, you know, you've managed many ways of saying no thank you and can we have more time and you are still not being heard? Like if you need to take it to the next level, what suggestions do you have for that? Well, um, you know, I would also say something that we haven't talked about very much is the role of the partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always say that, you know, it's the mother's right and it's the mother's responsibility. But the fact is that's a really, that's a really big, um, responsibility to put on someone who's in labor, you know, when she's made it clear that, and you know, obviously I'm not talking about speaking on behalf of the mother, but you know, when she's made clear how she feels about something, if she says, for example, um, you know, no, I, you know, I, I don't want to get in bed. I'm going to walk around and, you know, she's being repeatedly pressured to do something different. It's, totally appropriate for the partner to step in and give her that space. You know, um, the power dynamic, I think, is a little bit different when it comes to, you know, the birthing person versus someone else and the partner versus someone else. Um, You know, it can be it can be really helpful to have a little bit of a united front there and say very respectfully, you know what? Um, She said that she needs to walk around. So I think we're just going to we're going to let her walk around. Thank you very much. Um, I would say at some point you might you might want to just say very firmly, I do not consent. I want you to put that in my record. I think that doing that um, sometimes can like break the spell of what's going on in there. When you like, when you remind someone that, you know what, like this stuff is being documented. 
um, there's there's a bigger there's a bigger world than the little bubble that's happening right in this room right now. You know, I think once you once you hear the words, I do not consent, and then you know to actually write those words down, I do not consent. I think is kind of powerful for for a person who's trying to get someone to do something that they don't consent to. <laughs> you know, another thing you can always do if it's something that you know they they clearly feel really strongly about, and you know, a lot of times, frankly. You've got you've got a nurse who she has a job to do. She's been told, you know, these are the standard practices for, you know, the average woman who comes in. And all she knows is it's her job to get those things done. It can be really helpful to reassure them by saying, I would be happy to sign a waiver about this thing. Um, you know, I think there's that fear of liability in the back of of um, healthcare providers' heads a lot of times, even when they can't articulate to themselves that that is what's motivating them. I've heard about parents, um, you know, using that sort of tactic successfully. So mm-hmm. um, another another thought is to bring someone else in the room. And again, this is when, you know, a doula or a partner would probably need to help out. Um, I, you know, I've heard of people asking for the chaplain to come in Um, which is, you know, sort of like a neutral third person, hopefully, (laughs) um, who might bring, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of calm and break some of the tension. Um, every, every hospital has a patient advocate or a patient liaison. Um, some of them are more advocate, some of them advocate more for patients and some of them advocate more for their employer, which is the hospital. So that's something to bear in mind. Um, but again, you know, when you're sort of out of other options, um, you know, those are, those are good kind of last resorts. Um, in really extreme situations, you know, I used to run a hotline where women would be basically in the moment and, you know, would call, would would call me and I would have to, you know, help them basically do a legal intervention. And, you know, sometimes we'd have to call the hospital with a lawyer (laughs) and say, um, you can't legally force that woman into that C-section or, you know, something like that. But hopefully, hopefully our parents aren't going to be getting anywhere close to, you know, needing that level of intervention. Yeah. And it's, so amazing that you were doing that and having that extra support for women in labor and also baffling and crazy that that was needed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I know. Well, you know, there's such a misunderstanding about the rights of pregnant people. I mean, such a misunderstanding. There's, you know, some places that like, I swear they've never even heard the term informed consent and refusal. There's just there's just such a variation mm-hmm. <laughs> in um, in awareness and in practice around informed consent and refusal. And so important why we need to keep sharing these things and making sure right. people understand that yeah. they have that right. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk a lot more about that and hospital policy. So let's talk about that additional layer of you know that that affects. Everyone, the nurses, the staff, you, the care providers. Can we talk about like where that comes from, what it means, how it affects or interacts with a person's right to inform consent and refusal? Um, yeah, I think that is one of the big pain points is that um, every hospital has policies and protocols that they, again, 
there's a variation, <laughs> um, that some hospitals view those policies and protocols as um, guidelines, and some hospitals view them more as requirements. It's a really harmful dynamic, you know, for um, for birthing women to have that idea that that um, anyone can let or allow or not let or not allow them to do anything. Um, but a lot of a lot of times when we're told, you know, it's hospital policy, we think, oh, well, then my rights end at hospital policy. Um, the reality is, like, you know, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago about nurses. Nurses, nurses are responsible for policies and protocols. Um, however, your legal rights as a patient are not um, less than their obligations to their employer, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so your so your legal rights trump the preferences of the hospital whether those preferences are, you know, policies or they're just routines or they're protocols or, you know, whatever that is, you know, we're talking about our most basic civil rights here, which is why I always talk about nonviolent communication and mastering respectful confrontation, because it, it takes some skills to, you know, sort of like directly contradict something that someone's saying to you without escalating the situation. And even more than that, keeping those people on your team, you know, um, you might need those people's help. There's a good chance, you know, um, yeah, there's I'm a good that. chance that you're going to want, right, their cooperation. And we want everybody to be on the same page. Yeah, because it's not like you, you know, say, well, no, I'm not going to, you know, not eat or drink and then goodbye, I'm out of here. Like, you still have to do right. the you're, rest of you're your still labor be there and push. For another and, right. day, right? <laughs> so that brings in a, a, right. a great point of, that, that's that's the great fear, right, of being labeled as difficult or problematic yeah. or, or being retaliated in some way that your care deteriorates even more because you've refused yeah, absolutely. to do something. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely, um, sadly and unfortunately, and it's, you know, something we hate to, we hate to have to talk about, but, um, you know, exercising your rights doesn't come with impunity, unfortunately, when you're in a system that is really weighted heavily against you using your rights, um, it's not as simple as just saying, well, this is what I'm going to do and live with it. And everybody says, okay, great. Awesome. How can we support you next? You know, um, they're human beings. Um, they have emotions and they have feelings and they have motivations and fears and biases, just like you do and just like I do. And, you know, we we have to work with that. Yeah. And I think what makes it extra hard is that a lot of those policies aren't evidence based. They aren't necessarily what you know, is best for mom and labor or baby, like you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. And, and that's true. But again, that's probably something that you can figure out much earlier in pregnancy with your care provider and say, you know, what is your, um, how do you feel about this? Is this a standard practice for you? Is this, have you done this before? Have you done this a lot? Do you get a lot of moms asking for this? How do you feel about it? 
So you should be able to get a feel for that. You've got to bring that confidence also into your the visits with your care provider, because sometimes yeah. it can be intimidating that you have five minutes with their. Right, but um, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Huge. <laughs> I mean, you deserve to have your questions answered. That is that is all there is to it. Um, you are the person who is at the center of that care, and. Um, if they don't have time for your questions, then I would really consider that seriously. What's it going to be like when you're giving birth with them? Are they going to have time for you? Are they going to prioritize your comfort and your, you know, providing you with information? Um, you know, that's, that's the last thing I would want to, you know, be in, be in that situation would be in, you know, giving birth and having a care provider, refuse to, you know, elaborate on something or refuse to engage with me and just say, well, you know, that's just how we do it. That's not cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's not good care. No. <laughs> I remember one woman saying that she said, every time I go to a new practitioner, you know, the first thing I say to them is, listen, I'm one of those patients. So I just want to warn you. I'm one of those patients. I want to know everything and I have lots of questions and I want to talk about everything. And, you know, and she's like very friendly and very approachable about it. But I think that's a really good way to start out, like gauge their reaction to that. Um, I was really lucky when I started with a new um, OB practice that I like walked in during pregnancy with a piece of paper that had a list of questions. And the doctor immediately said, you know what, just stop right there. I think you might be a really good fit with one of our midwives. Um, I can see you have a lot of questions and that is really what they're great at. And so she offered, you know, for me to have my next appointment with a midwife instead of with her, or one of the other OBs. And that was really awesome. I didn't even know that a nurse midwife or a midwife was an option. And so it was really great that she basically was just like, look, you know, <laughs> the model I follow, I don't have that much time to answer your questions, but that's important to you. Go to, go to a provider who that's important to them too. Do you, I know you do a lot of um, advocacy in general for, for maternity care. Do you find yeah. that the system is improving? Is it changing? What, what is going on to make it, you know, we've been focusing on the, in the birth room, but at large, how are things doing? Wow. That's a really good question. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely way further along than we were before and we have a really long way to go. Um, but it's really promising and, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I have seen, you know, like, for example, recommendations and guidelines coming from ACOG, the language change in the past yeah, years. And totally. The, the one that yeah, just came he, out. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, well, I was just going to say, actually, I'm glad you reminded me of that because earlier I was saying that, you know, there's been more communication with the medical community. Um, so, um, so I was with Improving Birth for three and a half years and um, one of the, or a couple of the things we did there was to, was to communicate directly with ACOG, which I remember like at the, at the time that we had the idea, I was just like, why don't we just write ACOG? So, you know, so there have been a couple of instances where we've simply written them letters or even met with them. And that is super cool because I don't think, I don't think that's ever happened before. You know, like I, I don't think that, um, that ACOG has ever, ever engaged with consumers, ever, like mm -hmm. to my knowledge. And I could be wrong about that. 
Um, but I, you know, I think that's, that's a really big deal. And one of the really eye opening things actually about talking to ACOG is that they have, they, they have, they have this idea that they're really in touch with consumers. And, um, I definitely would not agree with that statement. So I think it was really great to be able to say like, actually guys, like, I think you don't even have a clue (laughs) what's going on. (laughs) You know, like, you know, they're, they're an elite group of doctors and they probably are seeing much more evidence-based practice in the, you know, high quality progressive facilities where they are. Um, but can be very disconnected from, you know, the stuff we see in Birmingham, Alabama, or, you know, um, or even Lexington, Kentucky, where I live. Yeah. And I think, I think it's thank you for going and talking to ACOG. <laughs> and I also think it communication and awareness, I think the media awareness, the mistreatment in maternity care that's been labeled, you know, quote, unquote, obstetric violence, having that be something that's being discussed in the media or in, in, in headlines. Well, yeah. And like, um, that was, that didn't happen by accident. Um, you know, like I was, I led media strategy at improving birth for the years that I was there. And that was like one of our top, top goals was getting the maternity care crisis in media. And then, um, and then I made it my personal goal about obstetric violence. And it's really cool to look back and see that now we're talking about things that were like not even mentioned five years ago. Like we're not even in the media, um, are, are, are absolutely in the media. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, I think that's, it's raising a lot of awareness and hopefully paving the road for, a much bigger conversation. Huge. And, it, and and people do need to hear these stories. And I encourage listeners to do a Google search for obstetric violence so they can see, yeah. you know, what it, what that's about. Like, just as people don't sometimes know that they have those choices to, yeah. and from some things as simple as you wear your own clothes, you know, that you don't have to wear the gown. Um, yeah, to, yeah. All those little ways that you can sort yeah. of assert your assert your humanity <laughs> yeah and 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 show that you you're not like you're not a patient you're just a woman in labor <laughs> yeah you're not sick yeah yeah <laughs> right? and you're not you know you're not like an um a gadget or a what a widget on an assembly line you know that you are an individual and you expect individualized care and listeners moms need to like you know safeguard your your yeah. environment safeguard your birth like make sure your voice is heard you um, know what I, you know i say be selfish this is the one time in your life when you need to give yourself permission to be totally selfish be catered to you deserve to be catered to and if that's a if that's like a hard thing to to swallow or a, a hard you know a hard way to um carry yourself Remember that you are protecting your baby. So it's a big responsibility. And, um, you know, I think I think we've got to be real clear about that and and really embrace that responsibility. It's I I do have the right to be selfish on behalf of my baby. I do. Because you know what? You're going to have to be for the rest of your life. You might as well start now. (laughs) Absolutely. Know your rights. Yes. Kristen, (laughs) thank you so, so much for this fantastic talk. 
You've been listening to a Best of Birthful episode. To listen to the original longer version of this episode, click on the link in the show notes. And there are many more where this came from. Look for episodes with the words Best of Birthful in the title to continue your deep dive to inform your intuition. You can find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com. You can also connect with us directly on Instagram. We're at Birthful Podcast. Birthful was created by me, Adriana Lozada, and is a production of Lantigua Williams & Co. The show's senior producer is Paulina Velasco. Virginia Lora is the managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. Ali Kiltz contributed to the production of the Best of Birthful series. Thank you for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and everywhere you listen. Come back every week for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.